This is Rabbi Shammai Engelmayer, and welcome to Keep the Faith, our weekly podcast in which we explore contemporary issues through the prism of Jewish law and tradition. Governments at all levels, here and around the globe, are relaxing or simply ending their COVID-19 restrictions, including mask mandates and requiring proof of vaccinations. While we may not yet be completely out of the woods, they say, we're close enough to finally return to some sense of normality. Epidemiologists and virologists, on the other hand, say our leaders may be rushing things. The numbers are dropping, sure, but there's a new variant of concern out there that's harder to detect, and other variants will almost certainly follow this one. As it is, this new strain may prove to be more resistant to the current vaccines and to the available treatments for people who develop COVID-19 because of it. In relaxing or ending COVID restrictions, are our leaders leading, or are they so fearful of the political fallout from an increasingly frustrated public that they're ignoring what the science tells them? To that end, there's a very important lesson to be learned about leadership in the Torah portions we've been reading, and we'll read next Shabbat as well. And so the topic for this week is leadership and Judaism's take on it. First, some background. COVID-19 was officially declared a pandemic on March 11, 2020. Nearly two years later, this pandemic is still very much with us no matter what anyone says. We've made a lot of progress in battling it. But COVID-19 continues to stay one step ahead of all our efforts. New strains keep developing, including this new strain that I mentioned, which may even be a more serious variant than Omicron. Known as BA.2, it's a major concern for several reasons, not the least of which is that it's fast becoming the dominant strain in many countries around the world. Also, we're seeing that people who were infected by Omicron are being reinfected by BA.2. But the biggest reason for concern is this. BA.2 isn't detectable in the PCR tests being administered. That's why it's being called the stealth variant. It can only be detected by genome sequencing, which is an involved laboratory technique that's simply not practical for mass testing, as are the PCR tests. That's why, as one scientist put it, rather than letting down our guard, what needs to be done right now is finding an easy way to detect BA.2. The good news is that there's an increasing number of studies that suggest that being fully vaccinated, including booster shots, could provide added protection from BA.2 and other variants, but studies also suggest that maintaining that protection may require getting a second booster shot. An increasing number of nations either are already rolling out second booster shots for their most vulnerable citizens, or are considering doing so. Even the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, despite what its spokespeople say, is considering a second booster shot for this fall. The FDA says it's still too early to tell whether that extra shot will be needed, despite the fact that BA.2 is a serious concern 
And despite the fact that a Centers for Disease Control and Prevention study released just last Friday shows that the already administered booster shots lose some of their effectiveness after four or five months. As the president of the American Academy of Family Physicians, Dr. Sterling Ransom, told an interviewer, quote, It's frustrating. We humans want some certainty and control over the situation. And this is a case where we don't know what's going to happen in the future. We don't know the exact recommendation, unquote. Israel was the first nation to go for a second booster shot for the most vulnerable groups. Last week, both Britain and Sweden announced plans for a second booster dose for their most vulnerable groups. Just a few days after making its announcement, Britain bizarrely did something else, which I'll discuss in a moment. How seriously should we be concerned about BA.2? For one thing, BA.2 is said to be about 30% more contagious than Omicron, and it's also more transmissible. As of this week, BA.2 has been found in at least 48 states here and in 80 countries worldwide. In Denmark, by mid-February, BA.2 made up 92% of cases, making it the dominant strain there by far. It's also dominant now in South Africa, with 82% of all cases. It's also now dominant in at least 10 other countries. In a statement on Tuesday, the World Health Organization said that, quote, based on available data of transmission, severity, reinfection, diagnostics, therapeutics, and impacts of vaccines, unquote, BA.2 continues to be of concern. BA.2 may not be spreading as fast across the United States as it is elsewhere, at least not yet. But it's already been seen in 48 states, as I said, and as noted, it's potentially more dangerous than Omicron. The CDC says that BA.2 now accounts for nearly 4% of all COVID cases here. That's not a lot of cases. But it's suggestive of what may come because of what we're seeing elsewhere throughout the world. The highest numbers of stateside cases, meaning higher than the overall U.S. average, have been found in Pennsylvania, Virginia, West Virginia, Delaware, and Maryland, followed by New York and New Jersey. They're all at 6% or higher, not below 4%. Closely behind are California, Nevada, Arizona, and Hawaii. Other states with higher than average BA.2 cases include Alaska, Idaho, Oregon, Washington, and all six New England states. In Canada, a report late last week said that the variant now represents about 35% of all COVID-19 cases in Alberta, nearly 12% of cases in Ontario, and 8.3% of cases in British Columbia. It's also been detected in Quebec. It's too early to tell, of course, whether BA.2 may cause more severe disease than either Delta or Omicron, or whether it's more resistant to the current vaccines. As public health specialist Dr. John Schwartzberg put it, anyone making predictions one way or the other is just guessing at this point. That guesswork, though, already has some data behind it, and that data isn't encouraging. New lab experiments from Japan, admittedly with hamsters as the test subjects, have raised some concerns. 
A research team at the University of Tokyo found that BA.2 had an easier time invading the cells in the lungs of those hamsters compared with Omicron. The research team's leader, Professor Kei Sato, said that with both Omicron and BA.2 circulating at the same time, this could spawn a hybrid virus that would, quote, more easily increase and be more harmful, unquote. Research led by a New York University virologist, Nathaniel Landau, suggests that BA.2 is even better than Omicron at evading the antibody drugs that were developed to fight COVID-19. The rapid global spread of BA.2 and the current uncertainty surrounding it is why scientists are saying that vaccinations, booster shots, social distancing, masks, good ventilation, and so on are still needed. Political leaders, though, here and around the globe, are not as concerned as are the scientists about BA.2. They should be. Denmark, for example, lifted all of its restrictions on February 1st, only to see BA.2 in the last three weeks become dominant, while also seeing a rise in deaths in people infected with COVID-19. That brings us back to Britain. Despite planning for a second booster, and even though Queen Elizabeth II has come down with COVID-19, Prime Minister Boris Johnson just yesterday ended all COVID-19 restrictions in England, including mandatory self-isolation for people with COVID-19, and most of the free COVID testing it was doing. This is many scientists and Boris Johnson's political opponents climbing the walls in frustration. Britain's chief medical officer even warned that there will be new variants cropping up and, quote, some of them will cause significant problems, unquote. Johnson doesn't dispute that. COVID, he said, will not suddenly disappear. But, as he told Parliament on Monday, freedom is what matters most said he, quote, not lifting the remaining regulations would be restricting the liberties of the British people for a long time to come. Restrictions pose a heavy toll on our economy, our society, our mental well-being, and on the life chances of our children, and we do not need to pay that cost any longer, unquote. It's time for government to get out of the COVID restrictions business, he said and let people take responsibility for their own health. Johnson, of course, is up to his neck in political turmoil. The move is seen more as a way of lifting him out of the political doghouse than anything else. Not that such is likely to happen anytime soon. The opposition Labour Party leader, for example, had this to say in reply. Johnson's new COVID plan, he said, was, quote, an approach which seems to think Living with COVID means simply ignoring it, unquote. Living with COVID by simply ignoring it is not exclusive to Boris Johnson. It's happening here too, and at a high rate. According to Dr. Stuart Ray, Vice Chair of Medicine for Data Integrity and Analytics at Johns Hopkins, quote, more infectious variants may have increased ability to reinfect people who have recovered from earlier versions of the coronavirus, and also be somewhat resistant to some of the coronavirus vaccines, unquote. He adds, though, 
Quote, vaccines currently used appear to offer significant protection from severe disease caused by coronavirus variants, unquote. Deborah Fuller is a virologist at the University of Washington School of Medicine. Our immune systems, she says, are evolving just as the variants are evolving, and so are, quote, pushing back on things, unquote. But that's not enough right now, she adds. Quote, what we ultimately want is for our immunity to be a step ahead of the next variant that comes out, and I don't know that we're quite there yet, unquote. Dr. Fuller also says this as a warning to our leaders, quote, Before B8.2 came out, we were about 10 feet away from the finish line. Taking off the masks now is not a good idea. It's just going to extend it. Let's get to the finish line, unquote. The political fallout from COVID-19 restrictions is real. There's no question about that. Republicans all across the country have made the restrictions a battle cry for the midterms. Unlike Boris Johnson, they're cloaking their message in the garment called freedom. Democratic politicians feel their backs are against the wall. Eric Trump, whose father takes credit for there being a COVID-19 vaccine in the first place, said last week, quote, To me, the vaccine represents literally the stripping of freedoms in this country, unquote. Texas Senator Ted Cruz says vaccine requirements are part of the Democrats' quote, authoritarian instincts, unquote. While Kentucky's Senator Rand Paul, the congressional anti-vaxxer-in-chief, calls these requirements, quote, vaccine fascism, unquote. Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis, a 2024 potential presidential hopeful who's running for re-election, said, quote, We will not allow Joe Biden and his bureaucratic flunkies to come in and commandeer the rights and freedoms of Floridians, unquote. Given this let freedom ring barrage, it's no wonder that Democrats increasingly are ignoring science and giving in to the COVID freedom train. That brings us to that very important lesson about leadership lurking in the Torah portions we've been reading and will continue to read through next Shabbat. These readings began last Shabbat with the story of the golden calf. Moses has been up the mountain for nearly 40 days, and the Israelites suddenly get the idea that he's never coming back. They descend on his brother Aaron, Moses' second-in-command and soon-to-be high priest, and demand that he make them an idol to leave them because, quote, this man Moses who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has happened to him, unquote. Aaron does exactly that. He tells the people to bring him their gold ornaments, which he then melts and pours into a specially prepared mold to produce a golden calf. He then builds an altar to be used to worship the calf at a festival he says will begin the next morning. Despite the efforts of many of our sages of blessed memory and others to circle the wagons in defense of what Aaron did, the Torah is very clear. The people demanded an act of heresy, and Aaron quickly complied without one word of warning or one word of protest. It was just, give me your gold and I'll give you a cap. Not everyone came to Aaron's defense, of course. A sage who lived in the latter half of the third century Rabbi Tanchum Bar Hanelai said that an ambitious Aaron acted to protect his standing with the people 
not for any noble reasons. Nachmanides, the Ramban, had his own take. Quote, Aaron let the people loose and left them without any counsel or instruction, unquote. In other words, Aaron preferred being led to being a leader. Moses was the opposite. When he returns and sees the golden calf, he orders the Levites to kill anyone who participated in worshiping the calf, which isn't something that would make him popular with the masses. But then, after telling the people that they had committed, in his words, a great sin, he goes back to God and demands that God forgive the people for what they did. And he uses strong words in making that demand. He even has the chutzpah to insist that if God didn't agree, God should write Moses out of the Torah. Moses was never very popular with the people he led. Throughout the 40 years of the wilderness sojourn, he had to put up with one rebellion after another. Moses quetched about that a lot, but he understood that his job wasn't to be popular, but to be the best leader for this people that he could be. But there's more. Let's now consider the Torah portion we'll read next Shabbat. It begins by providing us a thorough accounting in excruciatingly minute detail of all the donations the people made for the construction of the Mishkan, the portable tabernacle. There was this much gold, that much silver, this much copper, that many precious stones, and on and on. We're also told in detail how each donation was used. Not only is it boring reading, it's an unnecessary piece of accounting. All of the donations were given into the hands of Moses, whose honesty should be a given. In giving us that accounting, though, Moses was teaching us something about leaders. They must be accountable to the people they lead, no matter who they are and no matter what that accounting will do to their reputation. Moses was also saying that leaders are accountable not just for the money they spend, but for everything they do on behalf of the people, including protecting their welfare even at the cost of their approval. In giving that accounting, Moses meant to set the example of good leadership for all the leaders who would come after he was gone. Leaders today, of any party, don't act that way. They prefer Aaron's style of being led to Moses' style of doing the leading. And it is we, the people they lead, who pay the price for that. God forbid that many more people become seriously ill or die because of BA.2 or some other COVID-19 variant and because the COVID restrictions were no longer in place to protect them. This is Rabbi Shammai Engelmayer. I do hope you come back for my next podcast, and I'd like to hear what you have to say about this or my other podcasts. Go to www.shammai.org www.shammai.org and email me, please. If you don't get the Jewish Standard but want to read my columns, go to the columns page of my website. The latest column is about whether war is acceptable according to Jewish law. Shabbat Shalom. Stay healthy. Keep wearing those N95 masks no matter who tells you otherwise and get fully vaccinated if you haven't done so as yet, including booster shots. And above all, stay safe.